this past week, uh, I thought a lot about the unrest that was going on in uh, Jerusalem and in Palestine or Israel there, but with the Palestinians and those Israelis. And uh, probably one of the reasons I was thinking about this is because I've been over there recently and, and have some friends actually on both sides of um, what we're hearing in the news. Um, and when you go on a, a tour bus there, many times you'll have a Palestinian driver or a Muslim driver, and you'll have an Israeli or a Jewish guide. And for some reason, I really got close to both of these people in the, on the last trip. And so I've been actually in touch with both of them over this past week. And then um, a few years back in Kansas, when I lived in Kansas, I used to have what was called Restaurant Ministries. I would recommend this. This is where you go to various ethnic restaurants and instead of having to go overseas, you reach the people from those countries in their own restaurants. How many think this sounds like a good idea? So, uh, but during that time, I met with many folks in uh, Lebanese restaurants and uh, restaurants from various countries in the Middle East, and then uh, many other different restaurants. And I kept thinking about all these different people. And then um, texting some of the folks from years past, or some of them texting me. And so I started to just develop this burden to talk a little bit about, um, about Israel today and Palestine. And then also, I, I, I lead a group sometimes downtown, well, actually every week downtown, and I meet people I've never met before, and about four of them ask me about this. So I thought, man, this is something that uh, people are thinking about. Um, so we're going to talk about this today, and then when you're leaving, Bill Crick, thank you, Bill, he texted me just a little bit earlier this morning and said, we have a little flyer, Israel and Bible Prophecy, and if you'd like some of these to maybe read and hand to your friends, I think a lot of people are thinking about this right now. And this uh, is a, a little glow track by Steve Wahlberg, who is a former teacher here from Weimar Academy and, and also is an ethnic Jew and converted from um, secularism, actually, uh, into Seventh-day Adventism a number of years ago. Well, let's pray together and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you today for this opportunity to speak for a few moments about uh, a subject that um, is really intersecting personally with many people who have suffered loss this past week, many who are afraid, many are fearful for their relatives perhaps that live in these countries or around the world as unrest and strong feelings have arisen um, in both sides of this conflict and are finding representation in various ways around the world. 
and even in our own uh, state. So bless us as we talk about this today in Christ's name. Amen. To the Jew first. Um, there are many Old Testament prophecies that speak of Israel and speak of the fact that though Israel has been unfaithful through the years, there would be a return to Jerusalem and Israel to worship the Lord. And we could look at all those. I listed some of them there, but we won't. But the whole idea is that there is a glorious future for the nation according to these texts. And since the predictions, many of them have not yet been fulfilled, there is a question. Will they ever literally be fulfilled? And people that think about this have very strong feelings. One group says, yes, they will be fulfilled. In fact, they are being fulfilled in a very literal way. Um, has not the state of Israel been reestablished in 1948? Was that not miraculous when all the different countries in 1949 tried to do them in and they maintained that? Was there not a war in 1967 and another one in the 70s? And, and has not Israel fought off all its enemies? And is this not a fulfillment of prophecy? And will there not soon be a temple rebuilt? and fully operative with priesthood and sacrifices. When I was there in Jerusalem earlier this year, we went up to the Temple Mount, and we had a, a lady in our, our tour group who had a very hard time not saying everything she was thinking. <laughs> and so before we went up, our tour guide said, you cannot say anything, which was a very high bar for this lady. Because if you say everything you think and then you have to go to nothing, probably not going to happen. And we got there by um, the Dome of the Rock. And I, I'm not even going to say what she said, but she began to blurt out. And our tour guide got so scared that he actually said, I cannot stay with the group right now. Meet me over there when you're through. And he ran away. And I talked to him later, and he said, you do not understand that things can change on this mountain in an instant. And we could all be killed. You cannot say these kind of things in this place. Uh, so there was a lot of tension the last time I was there. But there still is this idea that the temple will be rebuilt. Nothing more inflammatory to a Palestinian to hear someone even say that. Then the nations will flow to Jerusalem to learn from, of the Lord who will reign upon Mount Zion for a thousand years. Now, there's a little context to what you're seeing in the news, and it has to do with what I'm talking about. Because there are people always agitating that the temple be rebuilt. The Israelis, Israelis set for a new temple on the Al-Aqsa site. Temple vessels are ready for rebuilding of Jerusalem's third temple. And they actually have the vessels and then some um, Texans sent over a bunch of red heifers because you have to have a pure red heifer 
for the temple services to begin. And architects are drawing up plans and, and they publish this. And then great news, the first red heifer in 2,000 years fulfills Bible prophecy and signals the end of the days. And all of these things have been percolating in the news in Israel. And this created a lot of unrest within the Palestinians. The Palestinians um, did not like this and thought maybe there was something more to it. And this was partially what led to these attacks from Gaza City that some of us have heard about this last week. The Hamas leader threatened Israel over plans for the Temple Mount. And this is a these are threats that were heard, of course, this last week. They're also very upset that the prime minister has people on his cabinet and on his government, which is a coalition government, that are all pro-rebuilding of the temple. And all these things came together in what we saw. Now, this is nothing new. Back in 2001, nothing new in a certain sense, except for maybe the magnitude of course, back in 2001, Osama bin Laden um, was behind an attack on America where 3,000 folks were uh, lost in an attack, two or 3,000. And it was the same actual complaint that there needed to be a liberation of the Al-Asqa Mosque and that the support that America gives, which is about three. $3.5 billion a year in normal years um, was what was propping up Israel and Israel had to be gone. And so there was a terrorist attack in this country um, as well. Now the Hamas covenant in 1988 uh, was when Hamas came about. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before it. So this organization is pretty focused on one purpose, and that is destroying Israel and any, anybody that supports Israel. And so this past week there was an attack, and then a response to that attack is going on. And the attack was of a quasi-religious celebration, at least uh, the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, an open-air psychedelic trance festival. Um, I don't know if Orthodox Jews would think this was an appropriate celebration of this festival, um, but this nonetheless was what was happening. And uh, then there was an attack from Gaza, which you've heard about. Now, interestingly enough, um, as I was looking at this word Hamas, and as I was studying the covenants this week in preparation for today, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The word for violence there in Hebrew is Hamas. And so in the Jewish uh, culture, when you hear Hamas, that means violence. In Arabic, it means zeal and courageousness. But that's an inflammatory play on words. 
in that culture, which the languages are not the same, but they, they are related. And it's sending a message, um, a double-edged message, you might say, Hamas. And that text in Genesis chapter 6 was from the time of Noah. And it says that in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. So just as there was violence back in the days of Noah, there was going to be violence at the end of time. And this is uh, what we see happening. Now, so just to review, some believe there will be a literal fulfillment. We talked about that. And that's what's been inflaming everything. But there's another inflammatory suggestion. And that is, the prophecies will be fulfilled in a spiritual or metaphorical way. They will be fulfilled to spiritual, but not literal Israel. How many of you have ever heard that? And how many would say that's pretty much what you believe? Um, in the minds of some, um, this will, and even should, this fulfillment should even exclude ethnic Jews completely. This more radical view of the metaphorical or spiritual application is called Christian super-secessionism, that something supersedes something else. It's over and above it, and it's taking the place of it. And I might say that this notion is equally inflammatory to notion to interpretation number one. And let me just review it for you. The Jews killed God, is the way this reasoning goes. And the Jews are followers of Satan, and they have texts, you're of your father the devil, um, that they'll quote. And Christians now have superseded the Jews and the nation of Israel. Christians are now God's only covenant people, and all Jews must convert to Christianity or they are doomed. So, uh, how do you think that would sound to your Jewish friends? Would they welcome a, another conversation? You know, let's get together next week and let's stick some needles in our eyes together instead of that. So this is uh, very inflammatory as well. <clears throat> and let me just now <clears throat> explain why I think we should think about this a bit. <clears throat> you see, with this hyperview of Christian cessationism came also the idea <clears throat> that Christians should distance themselves from the Jews. Catholic Church, for instance, said, <clears throat> let's distance ourselves in terms of financially. Church, Catholic Church in the medieval ages taught for many years that you couldn't have interest based on a text in Leviticus. So let's have the Jews deal with interest. We'll, we'll give them the money, and then they'll loan the money. And so Jews were pushed into financial services, and they were put in the middle. But when things went bad with the finances, guess who got in trouble? The Jews got in trouble. They were either persecuted or killed. And, um, and so even today, there's kind of a stereotype that Jews, you know, are all about finances when they actually were put in that situation because of the teaching of the church. And when something went wrong financially, they were blamed. 
and um, many times killed. If they lost money, they would blame the Jews. What about this one? Worship on Sunday, the day of the sun, rather than Sabbath, to distance himself from the Jews. This is exactly the reason it was done, according to history. So now you should be getting interested that perhaps this might, in fact, impact you if you are a Sabbatarian at some time, and you would be right. Because in World War II, when they would persecute the Jews, they would also round up anyone who was a Sabbatarian. So it's not as easy as saying, well, you know, uh, we just superseded. Because you're not seen as superseding. You'd be seen as a Jew if you go to church on Sabbath. Differentiation for the Jews in terms of dress was another big one. And, uh, of course, in the medieval times, one of the popes said the Jews shall be marked off in the eyes of the public from other people through the character of their dress. So the gold star and wearing yellow clothes was seen as um, a sign of being evil. Yellow was and they marked him off this way by wearing gold stars, etc. Also in England, each Jew after he is seven years old shall wear a distinguishing mark in his outer garment, that is to say, in the form of two tables joined of yellow felt of the length of six inches and the breadth of three inches. So an insignia of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, yellow, these were things that had been done through the years. Now later on, there was a person that also believed in supersecessionism of a different type, starting out with Christian supersecessionism and playing on that, but then leading to a different form of revival and reformation, and uh, a very malignant form, and this was Nazism. And Nazism adopted the things that had been seen both in Catholicism and also had been seen even in Martin Luther, who was quite anti-Semitic, and then brought this together against the, the Jews with this new idea of a revived German state that would reform a revival and reformation that would reform everything and would go back to nature and tapping into the... Uh, force and power of nature. And of course, this did not end well for the Jews. But now I hope you're getting a sense that supersecessionism is not something that you should think, maybe you should think carefully about that. How many of you are following me? Because it actually is a, a, a form of racism. Okay? And that's, I know you may have been ignorant of this. I've been ignorant myself many years for this. But what sensitized me was I actually started to people, started to talk with people who actually uh, are Jews. Okay? And they've been persecuted. Um, now, I'm going to come to the Palestinians in a minute because they also have been persecuted. And we'll come to that as well. But... This laid the foundation for Christian anti-Semitism and, and uh, as I've mentioned. And you think, well, that just happens over there. No. Stanford University instructor has been removed from a classroom this last week 
Um, amid reports, this is Friday, October 13, that they called Jewish students colonizers and downplayed the Holocaust and actually had the Jewish students stand in the corner of the classroom. This was in Stanford University, which is not too far from here. Amos 3.2, you only have I chosen from all the families of the earth. These are not made up things, they're right out of the Bible. Romans 11, 28 and 29, they, that is the Jews, are enemies for your sake. This is in the preaching of the gospel, the Gentiles. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and for the gifts, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now this is, this is Romans 11. This was not written before the cross. This is after the cross. Okay? And these are talking about ethnic Jews. Not because of any virtue of value, but because God loved them. Not because they're more in number, but because he loves you. And is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. We're going to come back to your fathers in a minute. Number two, the Bible says the reason they're to be to the Jew first is because they're guardians of God's special revelation. The Old Testament scriptures. Without the Jews, you would not have a religion. Hello? <laughs> you wouldn't have a Protestant Reformation. You wouldn't have any of it. Romans 3, 1 and 2. We are entrusted with the oracles of God to whom belong the covenants, the giving of the law and the promises. And this is why it's saying to the Jew first. These things all came to the Jew first. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. And now in these last days he has spoken by his son who became flesh and dwelt among us. And by the way, his son was a Jew. An ethnic Jew, a Hebrew. So how many beginning to say why it says to the Jew first? This is a bitter pill for Christian cessationists, super secessionists, <laughs> who want to make everything metaphorical and spiritual. No, it's actual to the Jew first here. Now what about that? It says the covenants. Ah. At the risk of trying to do too much in a short sermon, with a long announcement period, <laughs> let me just say a couple, a couple of things about the covenants. To whom belong the covenants? Adam had a covenant. I won't look these all up because of time. But you should look them up because of the times we live in. And as Adam, it says, Hosea 6-7, they transgressed the covenant. So Adam, there was a covenant with Adam. He was one of the fathers. He probably was the first father, right? And he had a covenant. Did he break that covenant? Yes, he did. But was there a provision made? They transgressed the covenant, and then in Genesis 3.15, there would be a seed that would come. That seed was, of course, pointing towards the Messiah, and there was an acted out 
justice and mercy there, a lamb or a sacrifice was killed and they were covered with the skins of that sacrifice in that first covenant. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's also a second Adam. The New Testament builds that theology based on that first covenantal idea. To the Jew first, you see it there, the Jew first. And then to the Greek, then to the Gentile, then to others. Noah, there was a covenant made with Noah. Why was there a covenant made with Noah? Because Noah was a godly part of the line of Shem. There, were, there was a great controversy between Cain's line and Shem's line, and largely over sexuality. One was pure sexually, one was impure sexually, one was polygamous, and one was heterosexual. And this went back and forth in those chapters leading up to this time period. And then there was a showdown with the ark, and Noah got in the ark. Noah means rest. It says that Noah kept the commandments. He was faithful. He got in the ark. But remember again, it started out with what? The Jew first, and then the Greek. In the New Testament, in Peter, it even talks about how Noah is a type of the final salvation. Starts first with the covenant of Noah, then to the end. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. There is going to be sexual immorality at the end of time, is what it was saying. And there's going to be violence, Hamas. Abraham. Abraham, right after Tower of Babel, you have now a new promise coming to Abraham. And he's willing to leave Ur of the Chaldeas. You can actually, when you're in Dan, um, you can see the gate that he probably came through when you're in Israel. And he was having all the promises that were given in the first covenantal blessings. Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Noah, again, cleanse the earth and start again with four heterosexual couples coming out of the ark that are sexually pure and replenish the earth. But now Abraham hitting the button again, now reach everybody, and you'll be blessed to be a blessing to everybody. And now the covenantal blessings are even expanding further. What you see here when you study the covenants is that it was not isolationistic. It was supposed to expand further and further and further, and there would be more and more blessings coming out of this covenant relationship that started first with the Jew, and then would go to you, to everybody. How many are beginning to understand what we're saying here? Isaac and Ishmael came out of this. Abraham had, you know, there were, there were these two sons. And it's interesting to me that these, these two sons um, really lay the foundation for this conflict. And as I was looking at that word Hamas through the scriptures, Fascinating to me is that Sarai said to Abraham, hey, guess what? <laughs> you brought all this violence in our family. You brought this unrest on the word there is Hamas. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it, but I just thought it was interesting. So you have all this conflict, but 
remember something. God said something that he's going to bless Isaac. What does Ishmael mean? God hears. Abram said, you heard me, right? This is, I, I worked it out. I had a, a, you know, a son with Hagar. God hears. And God said, no. That's one word for you, no. The promised child is Isaac. But I will bless Ishmael. Ishmael would be the progenitor of the Palestinians. God blesses both these groups. And that's something I think is missed, unless you study the covenants. How many of you are with me on this? We have believers that are in Gaza, and we have believers that are in Israel. And God loves both of them. God loves, cares about both of them. And we should not get sucked into a conflict that says something other than God would say. Does that make sense? Islam, I'm going to assure you, you would not have your faith without Islam either. Islam was a corrective to corrupt Catholicism, and they actually sent money to the Protestant reformers, Martin Luther and the others, because they believed Catholicism was going to obliterate everything. And when I study with my folks in the Islamic restaurants, I bring this up, and they love it. And we study Daniel together, and they can see how it is. And after 9-11, back in 2001, I went down the street, and there were 58 people in one hour that wanted to study the Bible. 58 people. And the inman from the mosque said, would you please come and talk to the people at the mosque? Because you're saying something that other people are not saying. And I think the reason I'm covering this today is because there's a lot of people thinking about this and you need to be able how to know how to say something. Does that make sense? Now then comes the covenant with Israel. And I want to just leave this little phrase with you. Israel was first a person, Genesis 35.10. Then was a nation, Exodus 19.5 and 6. And then was a person, John chapter 1. Nathaniel said, <laughs> when Jesus saw him, he said, you're an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And then Nathaniel responded by saying, you are the king of Israel. So now you have Israel as a person, Israel as a nation, and then Israel as a person, that being Christ, an ethnic Jew who fulfilled everything where Israel had failed. Forty years, they wandered in the wilderness because of sin. He was 40 days tempted, but was successful. I could go on and on, all kinds of parallels. Not only that, following Christ is another nation. That is an expansion, not a replacement, but an expansion of the Israel of old. And we learned about that when we studied 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That was quoting Exodus 19, 
but it was not doing away with the opportunity for the ethnic Jew. It was expanding the Jew first and now to the Greek. So there's an expansion. And then, of course, David. David was also a covenant. And I wish I could trace through you how the Davidic passages are mentioned, that there would be someone who would sit on the throne of David. And when Jesus comes and is baptized, he said, this is my David in whom I am well pleased. This is David. And the genealogies point to the fact that he is from the lineage of David. And the sermons in Acts 2 are saying things about David. Why? Not because there's a super cessation, because there's a continuation and an expansion of God's purpose and God's plan. And then, of course, the new covenant. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. And this new covenant and then is spoken of by Christ at the communion service and then is repeated by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10. And it's all using language that would be familiar with the ethnic Jew, but now it's also with the spiritual Jew or the Gentile Jew, if that makes sense, who is now being grafted in, you might say, to the olive tree. Wow. By the way, this is essentially Seventh-day Adventist theology as well. So don't buy in to super... No, I can't even say it. Super secessionism, thank you. When I got rewired here, things were thrown off a bit. <laughs> ultimately, at the end of time, there's what's called an everlasting covenant. There's a group of people that are preaching the three angels' messages that have all the covenant signs that first of all were to the Jew and then to the Gentile and then to every nation, preaching to every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Number three, the Messiah himself came first as a Jew, who was then sent to the Jews. Or from the Jews is Christ according to the flesh, who is over all. Romans 1.3, Jesus born of the seed of David. Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jews were Jesus' first priority. There's only a few exceptions. Remember that lady who came, said, I want to talk to you. And he says, I don't give food to dogs. And she said, well, even a dog gets some of the crumbs. And he said, that's great faith. You're saved. It wasn't that she was against that lady. It was the idea of timing because he understood the concept of to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Does that make sense? The 12 apostles were Jews and they were sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Number four. Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus even said that to the Samaritan woman. And then in Romans 11 again, there's a Jewish nation that's pictured as an olive tree. 
the natural branches, that is Jews, are broken off and wild branches, Gentiles, were grafted in. It is not you, Gentiles, who support the root, but the root supports you, says Paul. God saves us by reckoning us as children of Abraham by faith. And so we're grafted in to the root. Number five, Paul evangelized Jews first when in new places. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. In that same chapter, he preaches for three weeks on the Sabbath. He never changes the Sabbath. And in the midst of those verses, he says, he talks about grace. A message of grace is also related to the Sabbath. He never gives up the distinctives of Judaism to try and distance himself. Are you with me? Jews have priority over Gentiles also in the final judgment and final blessing. There will be a tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good for the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in the final judgment, the Jew gets judged first and then the Greek and gets commended first and then the Greek. I think that's interesting. That means there's going to be an existence of ethnic and also spiritual Jews at the end of time. And that same thing will hold true to the Jew first. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because for everyone who has been given much, much will be required. They had the law, the covenants, the oracles. They had it for centuries. Now, quickly, we're heading towards our close here. How do the Jews not have priority? Number one, they don't have priority in righteousness or merit. It's because you're ethnic Jew doesn't mean you have any righteousness or merit. Both the Jew and Gentile are under sin. None is righteous, no, not one. That's the whole point of Romans 1 to 3. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jews do not have priority on how they are saved either. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So they're saved the same way. There's no distinction between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And number three, Jews do not have priority in terms of participation in God's covenant blessing. They shouldn't say, guys, I'm an ethnic Jew. I'm better than you. No. No. Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. And by the way, in that covenant with Israel, it says, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why were they a kingdom of priests? Because they were supposed to reach other nations. The whole point was not to be isolationistic, but to reach everybody. And when they lost that vision... And Christ himself came and helped them fulfill that vision. Why is this important? Number one, because ethnic Jews must be humble. They must be humble. That's what Paul's essentially saying. And Paul knows that himself because he was quite arrogant and had to learn that himself. 
He was Saul, Mr. Big Shot, and became Paul, Mr. Small. <laughs> no one is saved by their ethnicity, their traditions, or where they are located, their location. Salvation is not for you alone, it is for all. And God can raise up children of Abraham from stones. So don't think you're that hot stuff because you're an ethnic Jew, is what he's saying. Remember also that the meek shall inherit the earth. You have small ideas if you have to stay in Jerusalem your whole life and you think that that's some kind of holy place just for you. No. The meek shall inherit the earth. Expand a bit. Are you with me? Now, I understand the dynamics of how nobody wanted the Jews and that's how they got back in some ways. But still, the point is being made that the covenant blessings were supposed to be in every nation, not just in one place. Gentiles, spiritual Jews, you must also be humble to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, the Greek. Why? Salvation is of the Jews. They're the olive tree. Don't forget it. You're totally dependent. On all those things I just went through. You are not also a replacement. Remember that. You're not a replacement. Because I still love them. And I love you. Embrace. Don't replace God's plan of salvation. Embrace. Don't replace God's health message. Largely, the health message comes from the Pentateuch. Right? <laughs> Embrace. Don't replace God's law. Don't replace the Sabbath. Now, in closing, I said this on Wednesday night, but I just want to say it again. Man, you look at the, have you ever, I mean, when you look at what's happening in Palestine, which is also a misnomer, that's originally, that's the word Philistine, Palestine, it's not, shouldn't even be called that, but when you look at Israel, and you look at the Palestinians and the Israelis, do you ever think, no one is ever going to solve that? I mean, that's been going on for centuries. Why are you even talking about it? You ever think that? How many of you ever thought that about your own life? There are some things that are never going to change. Not going to change. How many of you have given up on other people? I think we do that a little bit too much sometimes. We paint someone into a corner and we put them in the shadow of the cross, not the sunshine of the cross. People make mistakes. Forgive the people. Now, if they're trying to cover it up and they're not trying to be honest, that's different. But I think we need to be a church that believes the gospel and that we can move on. Right? Well, on 
Wednesday night I told this story because it was the only story I could really think of that had captured this. The story of the peace child, maybe you've heard it, about these missionaries that went to Guinea and Indonesia, and they had this tribes of basically headhunter cannibals, and they went into these this enclave, and they didn't realize what they were getting into, but then they figured out that these folks were cannibals, and um, they got to know them. They had none of the, no Bible in their language, so they translated the Bible in their language. They started to learn the language, and they got to be able to talk to them, and they shared the gospel with them, and they told them about how Jesus came and died for them, and they were not impressed. They were like, you know, well, okay. They didn't seem impressed at all. But then they kept reading the story to them, and they read the story of Judas, and they said, man, that's a good story. They started laughing, giving each other high fives. They said, that, 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 that's wonderful. And they just loved the story of Judas, because that was their highest ideal, which was treachery and debauchery and, and fattening up their enemies and then killing them. And they didn't even know it until the last minute. They were then slaughtered and eaten. They used their skull for a pillow. And they just loved the story of Judas. And the missionaries were like, now what do we do? <laughs> I've spent my life coming here, and I translated the Bible, I shared the gospel, and their highest ideal is Judas! And they were fighting back and forth, and this is a picture of their huts. They were up above the jungle floor about... 40, 50 feet, and they were just killing back and forth. And the missionaries had brought a bunch of tools that were helping their work so much easier there in the jungle, and they loved all the tools they came, and, and the missionary came, he called them together, and he says, look, guys, if you don't stop killing each other, we're leaving and taking our tools with us. And they were like, no, no, we like the sharp tools. <laughs> We, we might change, you know. Sometimes change begins with selfish motivations. And we're actually told that, that still the Holy Spirit can use that, even if it's from a selfish motivation. And by the way, all your motivations, humanly speaking, are selfish. So there was this motivation to change. And so they said, okay, we're going to make peace with the other tribe. Well, so how are you going to do that? They were very interested. Said, well, this is what we do. We take one of our children that's newly born, and we give it to the opposition tribe, and they raise the child. And as long as that child is kept healthy, and as long as they take care of our child we gave them, and we take care of the child they gave us, then we have peace because of the peace child. And the missionary said, that's it. That's the gospel. So he went through and he gave him a Bible study. He said, look, in the Bible, there's a big fight going on, a controversy between good and evil. Everybody's deceiving one another. But God sent his only son as a peace child. He sent him down here. 
and he actually took on human flesh. And he still has that human flesh. And he did that so we can have peace. And suddenly, the tribes changed. They're no longer cannibals. They completely changed. And if that could happen with some head-hunting cannibals, how many think it could happen in your life, too? And how many think it might even be able to happen in someone else's life that's in Gaza or someone else's life who's in Israel or someone who lives in Weimar? And that's the picture. To the Jew first, and to the Greek. But what is to the Jew first, and to the Greek? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation for the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's sing together as we close. Closing anthem. Come thou long expected Jesus. And this is along with our theme. Long expected meaning it was within the Old Testament pointed to more the New Testament. Let's stand together as we sing. Come thou long expected Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.